Luke chapter 5, verse 1, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets, getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked him to put, a little, put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I'll let down my nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on I will make you a catcher of men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. It's a tough one to approach because there's so much here. But how about we start this way and we see how far we get. I want you to imagine the scene. The Sea of Galilee, that's what this is, the Lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Galilee, Sea of Tiberias, same place. And you see a guy over here, we'll call him Joe. And why don't we just call Joe a, a cultural Christian? And Joe's working his nets, and he's a fisherman, and he's getting all ready. He had a rough night, he caught nothing, and he has some bills due. And because he's a cultural Christian, Joe prays, God, I have bills. I need money. I got no fish. Would you give me fish? Please, God, give me fish. God, I go to, I go to church sometimes. I put some money in the box. Please give me fish. I'll, I'll glorify you with fish, but I got to pay my bills. So Joe's over there tending his nets. He's just prayed to God. He needs fish. And, and as he's tending his nets, he hears a guy preaching over here a little bit. And this guy's a real Bible thumper. I mean, sin, separation, righteousness, holiness, repentance, salvation. And here I have Joe tending his nets in his head going, good Lord, one of those Bible thumpers. They're all over the place nowadays. God is holy and hell and scary and he's working his net. And Joe's boss yells, in the boats! And Joe's like, what do you mean in the boats? It's 11 o'clock. In the boat, Joe! Well, the boss speaks. You got to go. And Joe gets in the boat. And wouldn't you know the Bible thumper's in the boat, too? And they push out a little bit, and there's a huge crowd. And they're all listening to this Bible thumper, and Joe is like, what is going on? I'm so tired. of So he tunes out, and he's just messing with the equipment, getting ready for the next night's voyage, because he needs fish. He prayed to God for fish, right? Well, then... The Bible thumper stops talking, and, and his boss yells out, Joe, we're going deep. And he calls the whole crew, prepare to go out. And they're thinking, boss, it's noon. You don't catch fish at noon, but you're the boss. So they go out. And boss man yells, drop the big net. This net's about a half a mile long. 
takes a long time to put out, a long time to bring in, and then you've got to fix it up. And Joe goes, really? But they dropped the net. You know why they dropped the net? The boss said drop the net. And then check this out. The net starts moving weird. It's noon. The net starts moving weird. There's a fish in the net. And another fish. And, another. and the sucker's loaded. And it's so loaded, the boss calls for another ship in the fleet. Come on out. And they're loaded and the boats start to sink. And they bring this catch of fish in, and Joe is just dancing. Because Joe's a cultural Christian. Joe's going, God is good. God gave me my fish. Woo! Right? He's just walking the deck, dancing. I can pay my bills. I can get that new motorcycle I wanted. I can buy my wife a present. God is good. I prayed, and it worked. And as he's getting ready to sell the fish, he sees the boss, and the boss is walking away. The boss is leaving the fish. The boss could have bought the new boat he talked about and the new equipment he wanted and paid off his... Where's the boss going? Doesn't he know that God is good? God gave us all the fish. Well, that's Joe's approach. There's another approach. And the question I want to end with is, who are you? Are you Joe, or do you see what Peter saw? So, on one occasion, sometime after chapter 4, while the crowd was pressing in, why is there a crowd here? Jesus was a pretty cool teacher, and he did something else. He healed people, drew crowds. So at some point, crowds there, they came to hear the word of God, Literal rendering, little fun thing, is to hear the word coming from God. It's funny. Luke's funny. So they're hearing God preach and teach, not knowing who he is. Crowd's so big, Jesus says, let's go out on the lake. It works acoustically. It's hills and water and sound carry. So he preaches the gospel. It's all he preached, the gospel. And Peter had heard this message time and time again. At the baptism, in the synagogue, at his house when Jesus came to heal his mother-in-law. You remember that? He heard the words. He was familiar with Jesus, but he was not yet a follower of Jesus. And Jesus talked to the crowd, but then Jesus decided it was time to go fishing, but not for what you think. So he says, put out deep. Now I'm going inside Peter's head. Peter goes, hey, big fella, listen, you're a pretty fine teacher, but you're a carpenter. I'm a fisherman. You're going to tell me what I need to do to fish. I caught nothing all night. It's noon, big fella. You don't fish at noon. But you made my wife happy, healed her mama, so I'll go ahead and make you happy. Just load up, boys, let's fish. And how do I know he said, read the text. That's what he's thinking. And they go out. They drop the net. And the fish hit the net. Y'all with me? How did Jesus know there were fish there? Don't miss this. How did Jesus know there were fish there? He had those special blue blocker sunglasses, didn't he? How did he had a drone? He invented new technology. How did he know the fish were there? What's that? What's that? He put them there. 
He do, you know when scripture says, the Lord knows the hairs of your head? It's not this way. One, two, three. No, it's just the number he knows because he put them there. You see that? God doesn't learn. God doesn't observe to figure out what to do. God knew the fish were there. Jesus knew the fish were there because he put the fish there. How did he know they'd go in the net? He told them to go in the net. I mean, you want to go, Jesus doesn't go fishing. Jesus goes catching. Peter, go down to the lake. You're going to get a fish with a coin in his mouth. Yeah, all right. Jesus, the boat thing was flat crazy, but a coin? Peter went pretty quick, didn't he? I'll tell you why when we get there. Jesus knew the fish were there because he put the fish there and he put them in the net. So while this is going on, my man Joe, God is good! Woo! Right? Joe's over here dancing. Well, what's Peter doing? Right? Why? What did Peter see? It says right here, no it doesn't, it says right here, verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw what? Look in your Bible. No, no, no. When Simon Peter saw... Now, the Greek word translates more literally into English, it. That was just a joke. It just says it. What, what was it? What, what did he see? He didn't see a miracle. He saw God. Yeah, how do you know Jesus is God? Two ways. Number one, the Bible. Number two is his power. You see him manifest the exact attributes of God. Knowledge, power, omniscience, omnipotent. We, we'll, we'll do it in easier terms here. Pardon me. I'm going to use small syllable words for me. Truth, knowledge, power, holiness, and mercy. Truth. Jesus taught. What did he teach? Truth. Knowledge. Go fishing at noon. Dude, you don't fish. Go fishing at noon. Who is the better fisherman in the boat? Truth, knowledge, power. Drop the net. More fish than had ever been caught on that lake in the history of humanity at one time. Sink in two boats. Holiness. Why holiness? Because that Peter all of a sudden realized God, God's, God's in the boat. You know, when the disciples were in the storm in the boat and they're all freaking out and Jesus calmed the storm, you know they got more freaked out? You know why? Because God in the boat is scarier than the storm outside of the boat. I'll give you another word, Greek word. Remember Patakas? Spiritual poverty, total depravity. Here's what just happened. Patakas met hagias. Means holiness. And when patakas meets hagias, patakas hits the deck. And when Peter realized God was in the boat, he did what Ezekiel did, what Isaiah did, what John did in Revelation 1, what everyone Abraham did, Manoah did, when everyone sees God, they hit the deck. Because Patakos before Hagias is a disturbing sight for the one who has the Patakos. But 
Jesus said something. Do not be afraid. Why? You know what that means? Because roughly 33 times in Scripture, God says that. Each time it's saying, you are a recipient of God's grace. Basically, I'm not going to hurt you, I'm going to save you. He says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. We'll talk about that in a moment and a lot more in the weeks to come. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Now, let me just qualify this. This is not a little boat. It's a 12, 13-person boat at least. Why do, you, why do I say that? I don't know. It makes for a better story. Because I read the Gospels. And remember the, the disciples falling asleep in the boat? Plus Jesus? 13. I don't know. That's how I count. There's a crew. Why do I say there's a crew? Well, look at this. And, you know, they, 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 verse 6. So Peter says in 5, I'll let down the nets. And when who had done this? What's it say? Who enclosed a large number of fish? And whose nets were breaking? And who signaled to whose partners? There's a crew here. Peter's running a successful multi-boat fishing operation. He's got a fleet. Peter's pirates. And they come back and they've caught the biggest load of fish ever. Ever. And what does Peter do? It says he left everything. Joe thinks Peter's crazy. Joe sees Jesus as a means to an end. Hold up! That Bible thumper guy, that's the dude that does the healings? And he gives you free fish. Oh, I got to tell my wife, we're going to follow this guy. Honey, come on, he's going to do something. Bring the sick kids, he can fix them. And they start following Jesus. He did, he did some cool food stuff, amen? Come back next week, he works with leprosy. He's, he's a good miracle worker. He'll give you everything you want if you rub him the right way. Not so sure about that. Peter, he heard the teaching. He saw the miracles. He got his mother-in-law healed. I don't know if that's a miracle or not in his eyes, but anyway, his mother-in-law was healed. He got the big catch of fish, and he left everything. But I don't think that's an accurate translation. Because really, he left nothing. He gained everything. What did Peter leave? Fish. He left fish. Well, man does not live by bread or fish alone, does he? Why does man live? Because God causes him to live. Peter wasn't going to go hungry. He was leaving with the bread of life. Peter wasn't going to be poor. He recognized he was poor. He was going to be rich. Just not that way. Not yet, anyway. Peter left nothing. I want to ask you a couple questions here. Because there's so much I want to just add on to this text. When you look at Jesus, what do you see? I want you to think about this for a minute. When you look at Jesus, what do you see? See a cool teacher? Good example? A guy walking with a lot of wisdom? One of many deities to pick if it so suits your needs? 
one of those gods you go to and you're like, well, you know what? I tried the God of Islam. I tried the God of Buddhism. I'll try Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I need fish. Hmm, no fish. Next. How, who do you see when you look at Jesus? Do you see Jesus for who you imagine him to be or for who he really is? Four chapters of testimony to that Jesus is God incarnate, right? You know, maybe we'll start next week. I'll just start over Luke to make sure we, we were clear on all that. So we'll start in, in verse 5. I'm not going to do that. But we have John the Baptist as a forerunner. You remember him? Yep. Remember my man Gabe yep. coming to visit Zeke in the temple? I should say my angel Gabe visiting Zeke in the temple. You remember Jesus, his birth being foretold when Gabriel went to speak to Mary? Mary went to see Elizabeth, got a little baby jump, the littlest, smallest, creepiest looking prophet in the world. A baby in a belly. Mary's song of praise, Zechariah's prophecy, the shepherds, the angels, the heavenly host, right? We Testimony after testimony, which culminates with the fact God the Father says, this is my son. The Holy Spirit descends on him gently. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, why would you go looking for me? Don't you know I had to be in my Father's house? Testimonies made clear, Your Honor. I'd like to put into evidence as Exhibit 1, the power of Jesus made known through his strength over the physical, natural, and supernatural realms. I present Exhibit 1, a demon-possessed man. I present Exhibit 2, multitudes of sick people healed. Your Honor, the evidence supports the testimony, but I'd like to hand in, Your Honor, to evidence a whole load of stinky fish. Where'd they come from, sir? They came from this guy who claims to be God, putting them in a net at noon. And then you got Peter going, yeah, he did it. I couldn't catch nothing. Whole night caught nothing. He loaded the boats, Your Honor. Who do you see? Jesus is not a mate. Listen. This is history accurately recorded. Now listen closely. If this didn't really take place, I'm the biggest idiot you will ever meet. Because I've devoted my whole life to preaching and teaching as truth what's a lie. If that's not real history, I'm the biggest dummy on the face of the earth. I forewent taking over the family business with a lot of extra zeros behind my income. I could have had everything the world offered, but I, I gave it up for a stinking lie? This is real history, or this is nothing. But if this really happened, that changes everything, amen? Yeah. Don't, don't think that I gave anything up special. I really gave up nothing but stinky fish. But if this is true, if this guy who heals and speaks truth and puts fish in a net actually really rose from the dead, well, that's a game changer. Because when you see Jesus, you see God, the only true God, he by whom and through whom and for whom all things were created. Amen? So think about who you see when you see Jesus. 
Who do you think knows you best? Who do you think? You think your mama or your daddy knows you best? Your, your, your fiance or your spouse, they know you best? Who knows you best? Good answer. Look at these ladies up front. You don't know you best. God knows you best. Peter was a fisherman. Jesus, stay in your lane, boss. I'm the fisherman here. Really, Pete? Are you? How's that fishing going for you? Who knew what Peter needed? Peter or God? Who knew how to get Peter there? Peter or God? Who knows what you need, you or God? Who knows how to get you there, you or God? Who has known the mind of the Lord or been his counselor? Who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things to him be glory alone. Amen. Who do you see when you look at Jesus? Who do you think knows you best? Here's the last question. Can you trust this Jesus guy? You sure? Can you trust him for salvation? Does he have power to save you from the domain of darkness, captivity to sin, and make your patakas hagias? Does he have that power? If he doesn't have that power, hell awaits. Either this is the biggest sham humanity has ever known, and this guy didn't really rise, and the world wasn't turned upside down by 12 uneducated Palestinian dudes, or he really rose. And if he really rose and conquered death, that means he has power to save you, and he alone is trustworthy. But if you trust him for salvation, here's the evidence you've trusted him for salvation. Little by little, you trust him with everything. You leave everything, proverbially speaking, to follow him. But that's scary. Isn't that right? If you caught a full two-boat load of fish and you had bills due, or said another way, let's say that you stumbled across $7 million. And Jesus says, you can follow me or have that. What you doing? Can we be totally honest? In your flesh, you're hanging with the cash. But why did Peter go with Jesus? Don't, don't miss this. No. That's not really why. That, 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 you're right, but you're wrong. And I'll show you why he's wrong. Why did Peter go with Jesus? Notes are up here. Nobody wants to take a stab at it? You know why Peter went with Jesus? Because Jesus saved him. You see, Peter was simply a man who was part of a crowd that fell in a pit, trapped in a pit, stuck in a pit. And a guy came along, and you know how Peter got out of the pit? A guy jumped in the pit and took him out. That's why he got out of the pit. And the reason Peter followed Jesus is because Jesus caused him to be born anew so that he would follow him. It's not that Peter saw what was better and followed. Peter was born anew. Then he was given spiritual sight from blindness. Now Jim's right. He saw that Jesus was better. But as we go through Luke, you see he keeps running back over with Joe. Joe, how's the fish going? Right? You watch Peter's life. Come in, Jesus. Hold up. Hey, Joe, put that money in my office. Thanks, dude. Come on. His whole life. 
Except little by little, he doesn't go all the way back to Joe, and he gets closer to Jesus. Well, he fell in a pit. He got rescued from a pit, and the pit was still full of people. Jesus took the crew fishing, but little do they know the greatest catch wasn't the two boatloads of fish. It was the sinner caught in the net of the gospel of grace. And he says to the sinner caught in the net, made a saint, I'm saving you to rescue people from the pit. Well, how's he supposed to do that? He says, I signed you up for a conference. Starts next week on Tuesday down in Galilee. I need you to go to that. It's evangelism. No. He says, what's he say? Do not be afraid. I love this term. From now on you'll be catching men. Zogreo. Zoe meaning life, greo meaning capture. What do you catch fish to do? Kill them and eat them, right? What do you catch men to do? Save them and give them life. And he says to Peter, this is what we're going to do. We're going to keep going with this. As you come to see who I am more clearly and more fully, as you come to see who you were and who you are more clearly and fully, you'll start to see people as I see people, and you're going to declare the fact that God saves, that I have power over all things, and that those who turn to me will be saved, and they will turn to me by hearing the gospel preached. So what did Peter do with his whole life? He became a catcher of men. Now, who here vocationally is a catcher of men or a fisher of men? Who's fishing well? Who's, who, who's coming in with a, with a boatload every Sunday? Pastor, I got 17 in the car. They're duct tape. Why'd you duct tape? I don't know. They might not come. Don't duct tape. You duct tape someone to bring them to church. I will personally call the police. We'll visit you in jail, but I'm cleaning my hands of that. How do you catch men? What do you think Joe ran into the town talking about? Guys! He's like, he's like you know, the athlete interviewed after the, the sporting event. Drives me crazy, personal issue. Oh, well, we won the game. To God alone be the glory. But man, I played good. Shut up, would you? He comes in. We got the fish. I'm rich. I'm loaded. I got all my stuff. Woo! God alone be the glory. Right? He's coming all fired up. But he's not giving God the glory. I... At noon, caught fish. How y'all doing at noon fishing? I'm pretty good. You know, my boss ran out of town. If someone's looking for a new crew, I'm looking for employment. Going to be a little pricey, as you can see by my ability. But God alone be the glory. <laughs> he's going to talk about the fish, but he's going to take credit on his own. What do you think Peter started talking about? Uh... At this point, ah. imagine when he goes home to his wife, honey, strangest darn thing happened. What, Peter? Simon, she'd call him. Uh, yeah, that Jesus, uh huh? Yeah. He's God. His wife's like, Simon, what are you, no, 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 honey, the, the fish thing. Huh? You, do, 
yeah, yeah, right? That's how he started. But little by little, he went out and declared, Messiah has come to save the spiritually poor, to give sight to the spiritually blind, and to set the captive and the oppressed free. And I know he can do it, says Peter, because he saved me. I'm no longer who I was. I'm not yet what I will be, but I am a new creation in Christ. The whole Ezekiel passage, Peter would say, it makes sense. I got a new heart. You all think I left everything, but I actually left nothing. I gained everything. I know God, and he calls me friend. You see that? Poor Peter. I mean, he's just trying to fish. And Jesus shows up and starts teaching. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him, you just imagine yourself there, the, the multitudes coming into Jesus. I mean, Jesus would be the best attractional church preacher the world has ever seen. Staff meeting. How are we going to get people to come? I know we're trying a new VBS technique this year. We just redid the outside. We got three new moon bounces. We got a ball pit for the kids. We're giving Wawa gift cards. What do we do? Jesus goes, I know. I'll heal people. Oh, well, that might work. So they come and he's healing everyone over. The place is packed. Jesus is preaching. You'll, you'll see what he does to the crowds in a little while. But he's preaching the gospel. So many people, he goes out in the boat. They're enamored with a celebrity here and they want the healing. And he goes out and he's done and then he does his fishing. And Peter goes from being familiar with Jesus to following Jesus, from a fan of Jesus to a faithful child of God. My friends, those three questions, when you answer them well, do you know what you will do by default? You will be used by God to be a catcher of men. It's inevitable. Alistair Begg, who said to me going almost on 30 years now, if you're in, in his accent, I cannot do. If you're not sharing your faith, you might not have a faith to share. That arrogant dude, he bothers. 30 years later, good old Alistair still dancing in my head. But year by year, it makes more sense. If you're, if you're young in your faith, you're going to really struggle to share your faith because you're going to run back to Joe a lot. You're going to put back on the grave clothes a lot. But as you mature in your faith, you know what you start doing? Ripping off grave clothes and running after Jesus. Oh, don't get me wrong. You will still put on your grave clothes all the way to the end. Peter denied Christ on the day he was killed. Right? Peter kept going back to fishing after Jesus. Jesus rose. Peter went back to fishing. But Jesus caused him to endure to the end. And as you see the strength of Jesus and the trustworthiness of Jesus and the reality of who Jesus will, you will begin to be used by him in extraordinary ways for his glory. So here's the first question and the last question you have to land and we'll do it today. Is Jesus trustworthy? I cannot answer that question for you. But God calls each and every one of us to answer that question. Is he trustworthy? Can he save you? Will he save you? And the answer is yes, he can. And yes, he will if you will turn to him. If you confess that, God, 
I'm sorry for this nonsense about I tried my best so I'm acceptable to you. Because first of all, you didn't try your best. Second, if I go to my wife, honey, I was away for a week and 99 ladies offered to have an affair with me, but I only slept with one, she's not going to go, oh, good for you, that's pretty good. She's going to say, get out. And if you tell God, I only slept with 11 idols, he's going to say, get out. God, forgive me for trusting in my own work. Forgive me because I can't be perfect. He will forgive you. He has power to forgive you. He rose from the dead. But if you trust in him for salvation, are you trusting in him today? Or are you trusting in your wallet? Are you trusting in your looks? Are you trusting in your strength? Are you trusting in the wares that the world offers? And that is the daily decision we have to make because Jesus makes a whole bunch of promises that he will care for us and he will provide for us. Listen, Jesus knows all your sin. All of it. Like, who wants to hand me their phone and I'll read your Google search history to the church? Right? Now, I don't imagine you all are really wicked, depraved people in comparison to others, but nobody wants to do that. But Jim volunteered. No, I'm kidding. Jesus knows all of your sin. And listen to this crazy thing. He still wants to forgive you. Did you hear that? He knows, he doesn't know your Google search, he knows your heart content. The vile wickedness that goes through your head. And he wants to forgive you. Listen to this. Jesus knows all of your needs. And he wants to provide them for you. Jesus knows what you were made for. And he delights in bringing you to and through it. Where are you not trusting in God today? Who do you see when you look at Jesus? Can you trust him? And we'll end with this. Will you? And I don't want to do this too fast. I'm not going to take 15 minutes. I'll take two. Will you trust him? Do you know the answer to that? I want to be really clear with this. The answer is no. Will you trust him? No. Don't be like, yes, I will. Woo! Stop. Stop. Because you're like someone who just watched a Rocky movie, and you're going to pick a fight at a bar. You ever, you ever see those? This goes bad. I remember in college, we'd watch Rocky, and there'd always be some crazy kid. His name was Todd in our group. You'd watch, like, Rocky too, And he'd be like, he, he had a drinking problem. And he would go to the bar and be like, yeah, get out of my head, man. Todd was like, yay tall. Get out of my head, man. <laughs> oh, we watch Rocky. You know, he's like, he's like thinking he was training in Siberia. He had the old eye of the tiger. Come on, man. And there's some poor guy, soberist, could be like, buddy, would you just stop? Why are you even talking to me? You know, it never goes well. Because he trusted in his strength. Because he watched Rocky. Don't go trusting in your strength because you got worked up by some good Christian music. Listen, you've been knocked out. Will you trust him? No. Not on your own. But will he cause you to trust him for his glory if you've truly turned to him? Yeah. Does your salvation rest in how well you trust Jesus? Nope. What does your salvation rest in? The object of what you trust. It's the strength of Jesus that saves you, not the strength of your faith. 
In fact, he saves you despite the absolute weakness of your faith. We could go further than weakness. You have no power at all. But he who has all power has chosen to save you so that you might walk in his power for his glory as he cares for you perfectly. So we'll end where we started. Joe is an imaginary person, but he's not really that imaginary. Title of a book I read this week is called The Unsaved Christian. It's a person who is familiar with Jesus, but has not been saved by him. Most people you know out there are Joes. Oh yeah, I go to church sometimes, especially Christmas and Easter, because you gotta be in good with God to get your stuff. And I know who he is, you know, he rose from the dead and he did some cool stuff. And I guess I kind of intellectually believe that, but it never really changes anything about my life because, you know, Jesus, Jesus is my homeboy and he's my backup. If I need some, oh man, bank account's getting too low. Jesus, fill up! Right? That's a cultural Christian. The difference is this. Joe never had his patakas confront the hagias of God. The way to know if you're truly saved is this. When you think of yourself standing before Jesus, what picture comes to mind? Is it you running up and giving him a high five and a big old hug and what's up, buddy? Or is it you falling flat on your face, basically comatose, going away from me? What did he say? But when Peter, Simon Peter saw it, when he saw that Jesus was God, he ran up to him, gave him a high five, and said, you the man! Did, did, I, did I read that wrong? But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You see, oh, I'll just do this and we'll finish here. You're not going to see me ever, ever, ever do an altar call. You want to know why? So, on a fundamental level, the problem I personally have with an altar call is that you don't come to Jesus, he comes to you. Second, the way you should appropriately come to him, assuming he called you, you might see me do an altar lay down. If you would like to trust in Jesus, meaning you've truly seen who he is, we have an area cleared out, you can lay flat on your face right where you belong in front of him. And the people who joyfully run out and hit the deck, crying out, depart from me, I'm an unclean man, those are the ones I'm going to assume will persevere in trusting Jesus because they've been confronted with the reality of their sin. I don't want to see people stirred up by a song and ask people, well, you know, well wait. Mm -mm. I want to see people compelled by the power of the Holy Spirit as they're confronted with their sin. Now, the altar call thing, that's a personal issue. That's not a biblical issue there, per se. So don't go be like, well, Pastor John thinks all the people that do that are heretics. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. I said, I'm not doing it. But what I'm saying for you is this. Have you been confronted with the reality of your patakas before God? Jesus is not a means to an end. Jesus is not your homeboy. Jesus didn't come to get you into heaven so that you could be happy forever and ever. Jesus came to save you from himself, by himself, for himself, and the only thing required of you is to cry out, be merciful to me, a sinner. And you know what he will say to you? Do not be afraid. 
And then he might tell you, open up the book of Romans and say, you have peace with God. You are a child of God. Do not fear, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Dirty little secret, Peter never went hungry and starved to death. Peter didn't die in abject poverty. In fact, Peter didn't really die at the end. Do you know that? Church history tells us Peter died crucified upside down. Why? He felt he was unworthy to be crucified in the same manner his Lord was, so he asked if they might flip him upside down. And just as Jesus promised at the end of John, when you are old, they will lead you with outstretched arms where you do not want to go. My word, how did he know? Because he knows all things. On the day Peter was crucified upside down was the first day he really fully came to realize he left nothing when he followed Jesus but gained everything. Can you trust him? Will you trust him? Who do you see? This catcher of men thing, keep coming back for the next few weeks. The world is full of jokes. Don't be a Joe. Be a Peter. How can you be a Peter? You cannot on your own. But God is gracious to save. Turn to him and be saved. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that your word would never become commonplace to us, that it would not become a a story we're so familiar with, it becomes ordinary. Lord, cause us to realize that this is the realest, most accurately recorded historical event that we may ever run into, as is all of Scripture in in the narratives of history. But Lord, I think even if this took place today, the news coverage would somehow distort it because the reporters would run to Joe, who would give some whacked out version of who you were, giving glory to himself about all these fish he caught. And the attention of the world wouldn't be drawn to Peter who was following you, but to the crowd who was getting all their goodies from you. Jesus, the fact that you came and took on flesh, the fact that you are so gracious that you offer terms of surrender and reconciliation to enemies, the fact that you seek and save those who are lost because those who are lost cannot seek after you because we're spiritually blind. Lord Jesus, the fact that you pursued and hounded Peter until you placed him in the net of the gospel of grace showing us your mercy. Praise you, God. And Lord, I pray that for those of us who have trusted in you, we might be reminded of how that came to be. We just simply got caught in a net. We got captured by grace. We were pulled from a pit. And little by little, Lord, I pray that you allow us to see you more clearly for who you truly are and to run after you, not Joe to trust in you, not the wares of the world or ourselves. And Lord God, I praise you for the work that you brought to completion in Peter's life. As we'll see in the coming weeks, Peter was a a rather difficult disciple. And we can all relate to that. 
But Lord, you are so magnificent and powerful and gracious that you choose to make your glory known through making ordinary people extraordinary. Peter began to see you and trust in you and walk with you because your power was at work within him. Lord, I pray the same would be true for us. And if there are any, Lord, who are gathered with us today or even who will listen to the sermon who don't yet know you, I pray that they would. The evidence is watertight. The historical evidence is crystal clear. It boils down to this. Lord Jesus, if you really rose from the dead, case closed. If you didn't really rise from the dead, case closed. But there's no middle ground. And the only explanation, as we follow the growth and work of your church and trade in world history, is the fact that there was a real man who was really God, who dwelled in Palestine roughly 2,000 years ago, who many testified was God incarnate, who performed signs and wonders beyond anyone's wildest dreams, who walked on the waves of the sea and calmed storms and rose dead people and caused blind people to see, who for a period of roughly three years cast out demons and cast out disease in Palestine, who was crucified on a cross, stuck in a grave dead, and three days later rose from the grave who after that resurrection sent his people out into the world who have turned the world upside down, discovered by, by ladies in an empty tomb thinking you were the gardener, running to get these uneducated common men who were so scared they locked themselves up in an upper room. But Holy Spirit, you sent them out. You've changed lives. You've transformed lives. You still live and reign. Lord God, if anyone does not yet know you, I pray this very day they may behold the reality of who you are. You are a God who saves. Jesus, I am so grateful that you've entrusted your word to us. I could stand here and preach all day. But Lord, I pray rather than me doing that, that as we go out this week, that you would preach to us all week through your word, that you would preach to us through, through the saints engaged in our lives, encouraging us with scripture, pointing us to Jesus, and helping us to follow you. So, Lord God, we might declare your excellencies in a lost world in which you came to save people. Lord God, thank you for saving us. We pray that you would save many, and we pray that you would use us in the process to be catchers of men in your power and for your glory. In your name we pray. Amen.